BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. The Coin Bureau podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. It's almost certain that governments are going to try and erode privacy further in crypto and elsewhere. They're going to keep they're going to keep doing it because it's about control, mm. you know. And we've got other technologies, it's not just crypto. You know, we've got other technologies, things like AI, facial recognition being harnessed to fight uh, to fight against personal privacy. And again, going back to something that we touched on in the discussion about the cashless society, we've also got things like central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Mm. So attacking the, the marketplace leaders and then introduce your own one. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, this this form of this form of central bank issued cash, central bank issued money that is, you know, in, in very very easy to trace. That's the kind of control that that governments dream of. Welcome everyone to the Coin Bureau podcast. My name is Guy. This gentleman's name, gentleman. Oh, yes. This man's name is Mad Mike Mooch. The third. The third. <laughs> goodness me, they still haven't got it right. Uh, and today I thought we would, uh, following on from our discussion about cash, uh, the cashless society which, Ooh, yeah. from the last couple of episodes, uh, which I don't know about you, Mike, but I really enjoyed that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I've made a concerted effort to uh, to use cash a bit more. And how's it going? It's good. Yeah, you've, yeah. You, are you carry, you're carrying a few quid I'm around. Carrying cash, we've got hundred quid in with there. Okay, that's good to know. All right, well, uh, I'll I'll have that when you're out of the room then. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I thought that I was really kind of I thought that really enjoyed that uh, cashless society episode that we did. And I it's thought- becoming more and more apt. Um, and I sort of was looking at I saw a YouTube video about it in Sweden. Oh yeah. Where Sweden is a big push to be sort of a cashless society. Yeah. And the government is like because obviously. Um, Russia is on is is on their doorstep, and the government apparently has been sending out prepper advice to them yeah. for the last two years. And like this year, they've gone, okay, cool. Look, we we said be prepared for a few days, maybe go for a week. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of crazy that yeah. you know that 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 you know a government is sending out documents to every household. This is what you need to have to be able to survive in the woods for four or five days. Actually, no, make it a week. Yeah. It's very sort of Scandinavian uh, pragmatism, isn't it? Mm. It's, I, I think they're doing. I think they're even more so in Finland because obviously Finland has got a very long border with mm. Russia, and you know has, they've had uh, they've had uh, Barney's before. But um, yeah, I think like Finland, there's a huge kind of network of bunkers and things like that. It's like I think if I think Putin would invade Finland at his peril. I think really? those guys are pretty tough. Yeah, and they're pretty well prepared as well. They've got money. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think that yeah, I think. I, think I mean, all those Nordic sort of Scandi sort of places have got. Yeah, they're all quite, they're all quite, quite well flush, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah, so after last week's discussion about cashless society, there was something uh, we mentioned a lot. We talked a lot about privacy. Yeah. In that discussion, and I thought we'd just devote another episode to kind of talking about that in a little bit more detail, because since we recorded that cashless society episode, there have been uh, some pretty significant developments in the crypto space, yeah. which are which have huge implications for privacy. And it's um, well, well, we'll talk about those in, in, in a moment or so. But yeah, basically, the crypto industry uh, is is now kind of having to look again. I mean, privacy has always kind of been a, a talking point in crypto, but it's kind of really floated up to the surface, uh, floated up, almost, you know, to the top of the agenda in a lot of ways, especially over the last few weeks. So I thought it'd be interesting to just have a discussion about privacy and about privacy in crypto and kind of where we go from here. And I thought just for you, we might even touch on on something that I know is very close to your heart, but we'll we'll get to that. So yeah, so uh, kind of lots to lots to discuss, uh, not just about privacy, but also privacy in relation to crypto, uh, and therefore we can fulfil our remit of of talking about cryptocurrency, but Good. also have what I hope is an interesting discussion about something that's so fundamentally important these days, and is something that's slipping away. Mm. So uh, let's start by let's start by just talking about privacy. I guess in in the internet age, because privacy is something that is very much enshrined in, I mean, it's enshrined in various various parts of the US Constitution. Uh, we've also got things like the Human Rights Act, which was introduced uh, in Europe in 1998. I remember... Um, I remember that was a big thing. You, you remember when the, the uh, Labour government won a landslide here in yeah. the UK in 1997, and one of the big things that they did the following year was make us part of the European Human Rights Act. And um, Article Eight of that Act uh, protects your right uh, to your to respect for your private life, your family life, your home, and your correspondence, letters, telephone calls, and emails, for example. Um, 
So this is something that's very much enshrined in the idea, particularly of, I guess you'd call it Western democracy. It's something mm. that we, it's something that is a fundamental right. And it is something, as I say, that's under threat. And obviously uh, governments and the like have got a kind of get out clause for this. I thought I'd uh, quote this one. Uh, this is from, this is again from the European Human Rights Act. Um, there sh quote, there shall be no interference by a public authority with the exercise of this right, except as is in accordance with the law and is necessary in a democratic society in the interests of national security, public safety or the economic well-being of the country for the prevention of disorder or crime, for the protection of health or morals uh, or for the protection of the rights and freedoms of others. So it's this very, it, it seems privacy is this very kind of elastic thing. You know, it's enshrined as a, as a right, as something that we have a right to. But also there are circumstances where that right can be taken away. And I guess so much of what is happening today is how, how elastic is that? You know, how, where, where is the line beyond which a government cannot cross? And obviously, in in more recent times, certainly in the 21st century, we've seen things like the U.S. the Patriot Act that the U.S. introduced in the wake of 9/11 and um, mm. very all those other terrorist. Uh, you know, do you remember people were getting sent anthrax in the post and mm. that sort of stuff? Um, <clears throat> so they introduced the Patriot Act to kind of crack down on terrorism. Um, but what a great name! <laughs> Like, yeah. No one's going to disagree with the Patriot Act. Yeah. If you don't like the Patriot Act, you must be an asshole. Yeah. Or a commie. Or a goddamn red. Actually, do you know Patriot uh, stands for something? So Patriot is an acronym. So the formal name of the statute is the Uniting and Strengthening America by providing appropriate tools required to intercept and obstruct terrorism. Ah. Patriot. Uh, which I had no idea of. And I think whoever whoever reverse engineered that acronym, mm. it should should win some sort of prize. Yeah. Uh, because that is, there's no way I could do yeah. that. That's very clever. Um, so, yeah. So the US Patriot Act uh, was introduced in the name of preventing and combating terrorism. And, but we've seen it being used to encroach on individual privacy in, you know, in in the name of preventing terrorism, it's. I think it's been kind of all too easily abused in the sort of twenty or so years since it uh, since it was introduced. And I think another thing that's that struck me when thinking about privacy was it's kind of telling that every time we every time we imagine a really dystopian society, and I guess the best example is something like George Orwell in 1984. Mm. Um, but there are you know there are plenty of others, both in literature and in film and you know popular culture. Whenever we imagine a dystopian society, it always seems that privacy is one of the things that straight away you notice has gone. Mm. And in 1984, they have these. Uh, they everyone has a telly screen on the wall, which is you know. Bear in mind this was written in 1948, so televisions were a very new thing. But everyone had a telly screen, which was kind of on all the time. You couldn't mm. turn it off, and the authorities were able to watch you through it as well. And there's a and there's an incident where you know there, there are kind of police helicopters flying around, and they're always snooping in people's windows and stuff. And you know basically privacy, individual privacy, is is a thing of the past. Yeah. And I think yeah, it's interesting that that um, that seems to be a common theme of any kind of nightmare society in that individual privacy is is gone.
Um, but I think it's it, it's one of the things that it's such a it, it's a difficult concept to grasp privacy, isn't it? Because sometimes you know you, it's that idea of well, why, if I've got nothing to hide, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And we've touched on this before a few times. This this this, which is a simplistic way to look at it, yeah. Because what you've got to hide may be you being, you know. Uh, for example, if you know the the resistance, <laughs> yeah. If you're the resistance, what have you got to hide? I'm hiding uh, me being the good guy, yeah, yeah, from the bad guys. And I think that people's views on government are sometimes um, rose tinted or like ah, you know, they they don't think the worst. They assume that governments are always working in your best interest. In, in your best interest, when yeah. in actual fact, it's probably for corporations or um, sort of cronies. Absolutely, absolutely. Which is this kind of yeah, which it, which is modern capitalism, which mm. is shareholder capitalism. Um, and yeah, it's it, it, it's it can be quite difficult, I think, to 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 put your finger on on why exactly privacy is so important. It's like, well, why do you, you know, why don't you want anyone reading your emails or seeing where you spend your money or looking in, in, in your window? It's like, well, I, I don't know. I just don't. And I think it's what? because the vast majority of, of people don't have any secrets that are too um, important. You know, it's like, I, what do I do? Is what, what everyone sort of goes, well, I don't do, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. Why, why, you know, if someone is looking at me, I don't see why that's a big deal. Mm. But, then, then you have things like you know Edward Snowden, uh, sort of being a whistleblower, and you know how how governments are uh, unscrupulous. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> they're watching us. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, so how um, there'd be influential people, and their daughter were, had uh, a drink drive accident or something like that, or was was involved in some minor sort of drugs offence, and they were blackmailed or, mm. or pressured and coerced into doing s something that they would not normally do uh, yeah. for the benefit of uh, the government and not necessarily the benefit of the people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, individual individual privacy is just it, it. It's so specific to every single person. I, I think. I mean, I think everyone pretty much has some aspect of their life, at, at least, that they would not want anyone else to know. However innocent that mm. person may be, however inoffensive, however quietly they live, or whatever, there are just certain things that you don't want anyone else to know. And what those things are is is not really our business to even speculate on. It's just it's just your business, and it makes I get I, again I think it makes this idea of well why do you want why do you want privacy it it it, it can be difficult to answer. It's just I just don't want you, other people, the government, corporations, mm. etc. I just don't want you to know that because it's none of your business. It's 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 none private yet. to me. Um, but I think the internet has changed the game so comprehensively, mm. and it's made our personal data, you know, our privacy, really, such a lucrative prize for for not only governments but for private corporations as well, who harvest it and sell it and use it for advertising purposes, all this sort of stuff. Um, it seems now that our privacy is is kind of ebbing away faster than before because we have this amazing communications tool, which is And because we're sort of new. almost so willing to give it up. Yeah. Like it it's like social media has really sort of made it the just the norm 
mm. to display your life, to display your, you know, uh, and maybe not be your actual life, but be just be outputting stuff. Cool. This is what I'm, this is me. Don't forget me. Me, 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 yeah, me, to, me, me. To make yourself into your own personal brand yeah. and all that horrible crap. Yeah. It's, it, it's so true. And I think. Please do follow me on, at Moodabout <laughs> on all socials. <laughs> Coinbureau.com. Um, no, it's 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 absolutely it's absolutely right, and we and again we touched on this when we talked about cashlessness, didn't we? We uh, we've sacrificed a lot of privacy f on the altar of convenience because it's just it's so easy to use a card, mm. it's so easy, and it's so easy to use these services. And you know, let's face it, things like things like Facebook came along, and they were convenient. They were it was convenient, but tool. I also think that it is just uh, we, we are sheep. Do you know what I mean? Like so, uh, and and it affects kids first mm. so if every kid is on tiktok your kid will want to be on tiktok because this is just the fear of missing out kids kids want to conform kids want to be part of the group kids want to be involved yeah and you know uh, if you if you get the kids at that point and then they've got those accounts as they grow up and you know as they start wanting to sort of meet boys or girls or whatever then you know it's it's just it's getting them young and, and getting them into the system and these kids are growing up with their lives on social media already. So it's kind of eroded that, hey, hang on, what about if I just want to have something to myself? Yeah, they, they've no frame of reference. They've no idea what it's like living without these things. Mm. And you're absolutely right, kids especially. But I think I think a lot of people in oh, general... I'd say kids, we were the first generation probably to have a bit of both. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was, we were at uni, there was no Facebook, there was no it Instagram. It came out just after we, just after we left. Yeah. Uni. I remember it. Um, and I remember for a while, well, we t talked about this, haven't we? But you could only get it with certain university email mm, addresses. And we weren't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> we were too stupid for yeah. Facebook. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, yeah, I think standing out from the crowd in that way, you know, making those sorts of decisions is often, is a hard thing to do. And actually taking the steps to preserve your privacy is it has been made really inconvenient. I often think, I mean, I still use WhatsApp because all my friends use it. Yeah. I don't like using WhatsApp because it's I don't... meta. Yeah, and I just, it, it, I, I would much rather... But Very interesting story, WhatsApp, actually. Mm. Um, it's, I don't want to derail this, but there's, uh, it, it, the, the guys who set it up were just all about privacy. Because mm. it is end-to-end -end encrypted, isn't it? it, it it's changed. Okay. A lot. It is encrypted, but it's not what it was. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And the way that they set it up and the, the, the sort of foundations of it have been, the goalposts have moved. Yeah. And there's, there's, a, there's a couple of great YouTube videos on it. Uh, go, go, you know, watch the story of WhatsApp because mm -hmm. it, it, it is fascinating. Okay. I will. I will. Maybe we can do a podcast on that. Maybe I'll, I'll WhatsApp it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it on WhatsApp later. Have to find a crypto angle for it, though. But um, yeah, I, th I think it's fair to say that we were just as a just as people, just as a species, were, were really unprepared for the impact the internet would have, and we have we have allowed those freedoms to be rowed back because of what the internet can give us. You know, it can give us. It gives us so much. Mm. Um, but it's worth remembering this. And again, this is something we covered in, in earlier episodes. We covered it when we started to talk about Bitcoin, but I thought it was worth kind of revisiting this. There were a few people who 
who weren't so unprepared for what the internet was going to do to privacy. Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> Satoshi Nakamoto, among others. But yeah, mostly, you know, the cypherpunks in general. Mm. And we had the likes of... Um, and do you think that's because they are nerds and they have seen these, like, several dystopian sort of storylines? I, I think there could be I think there could be an element they, like through their 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 sort of reading of fiction and 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 uh yeah let's make a let's make a gross generalization which will have some degree of truth to it yeah lots of the cypherpunks would almost certainly have read quite a lot of science fiction and there would have been you know a lot of kind of dystopian sort of society dystopian futuristic whatever sort of societies like that and I would I would be very willing to bet that a lot of cypherpunk ideas were partly inspired by, you know, by those kinds of by those and possibly also real worth real life uh, events that have been happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are these are, you know, very clever people, very sort of, uh, you know, with an understanding, I guess, of of computing and computer science and the Internet and how we communicate and uh, crypto cryptography and things like that, that the rest of us you know that just leave the rest of us in the dust mm. so yeah they were they were very they were very kind of prescient they saw before pretty much before anyone else what this amazing new form of communication could do and also the dangers of it and how something was going to have to be done in order to kind of mitigate against that so uh, you know it's again their their contribution before we even get to cryptocurrency is is really really important um just because they were so they had all this foresight and um remember that we one of the big concerns over privacy in the internet came about with this idea of transacting online and you had people like david chaum who we've talked about you know these prominent cypherpunks who were who were thinking like how are we going to do this Safely, how are we going to come up with a system whereby you know? And you know, they they alighted on cryptography. You know, how are we going to use cryptography to protect you know, so as we can transact online, so we can use the internet to its full potential? And this obviously drove David Cham to invent DigiCash. Mm. Your favorite, my favorite. I thought we'd get in a reference to DigiCash there um, because I know how much you love it. it it's I love the name. <laughs> it's yeah it's great it was it's such an interesting project and it did as as we discussed i think it was in episode five when we first talked about bitcoin it did come quite close to mm. you know to, to catching on and i quoted this from david chaum in that bitcoin episode but it's worth citing again um quote he uh, this was from a bbc interview that he did privacy is intimately tied to human potential and it's an extraordinarily important aspect of democracy so yeah, so this cypherpunk ideal, you know, they really understood how important privacy is and how it was going to be threatened. And I think understanding that debate around privacy in the age of the internet is is key to understanding why cryptocurrency emerged in the first place. It wasn't it wasn't created in order that we could all buy dog coins online. It was created <laughs> with this <laughs> 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 Yeah, it's just, just like okay, those one of those early sort of uh, email threads or forum chats, and it's just like talking about you know how this is going to change the world. Mm. Shiba Inu, <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Floki Inu coin, let's yeah. to the moon. Yeah, um, but you know, and and I, I mean, this would be this. I think if I if I was introduced to Satoshi Nakamoto, you know, one of the I think probably the first question I'd like to ask him would be along the lines of, you know, 
you you invented you invented Bitcoin for very specific purposes. But you know, wh what do you make of the fact that privacy in crypto is now very much an illusion? You know, for in in most including instances. Bitcoin. Yeah, especially Bitcoin, I think. I mean, this is Bitcoin is Bitcoin is amazing, but one of the big drawbacks is that it's so traceable. Uh, but I don't think that's a drawback. Like as you, there was a there was an incident where these ATM machines mm. were sort of pumping out. People were depositing, oh no, depositing Bitcoin and then and <coughs> taking cash out. Oh yeah, um, and um, people got their cash, but this company basically lost all its Bitcoin because they got hacked. Mm -hmm. There's a safe, safe, safe bet that they will probably be able to get that back because it's so traceable. Because it's traceable, yeah. I mean, it does it's certainly. The so I have, I have like a, um, you know, it's it's not it's not like an NFT where it's kind of gone, isn't it? Like if if someone has an NFT and they they hack it, then it's kind of gone. Well, it's or is still it not? It, no. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly true that the transaction can't be reversed. Mm. But this is the thing with this is the thing with Bitcoin, Ethereum, most major cryptos, is that transactions on blockchains are publicly viewable, and they are publicly viewable forever. But, yeah. And I think this could have consequences in the future because if there is a big crackdown on crypto, then they could the authorities could conceivably go quite a long way back in time, and and they would have a record of where you were spending mm. that Bitcoin way back in. 2010 or something like that. Um, so, and I mean, that is a genuine concern. But yeah, blockchain tracking is is becoming more and more sophisticated. And this idea that you often see advanced in the in the, in the kind of mainstream media and elsewhere that that crypto is an ideal tool for for criminals for hackers. Absolutely not. It 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 really isn't. Like if you were a hacker and you you know. And you got to your, you know, you stole your, you you got the ransom for your ransomware in Bitcoin or something like that. You're screwed because you you can never cash out. You know that you be they, unless you do it through someone else's account. Well, and yeah, unless you use, there are various tools for doing that, and or, or tools certainly for for kind of breaking that mm. that visible chain, which we'll get onto in a moment. But um, yeah, you know, uh, blockchain tracking companies, the tools that they use are getting more and more sophisticated. Um, and, you know, basically criminals, I guess, are, are way better off using cash. Cash is much harder mm. to trace than, than crypto. So before we talk about privacy tools in crypto, let's take a quick break, shall sure. we? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. 
kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome back to part two. I've called this part, I've noted part down, <laughs> I thought we'd call this crypto privacy tools and a big old can of worms. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say that certainly in recent weeks as well, a big can of worms has been opened. Most cryptos are so publicly traceable, so viewable. There have been tools developed to try and combat this. Now, the one that we've talked about quite a few times before is privacy coins. Mm. The mo the, the Monero. Most, yeah, Monero. We've also got things like Zcash. Uh, we've also got uh, coins that have sort of implemented privacy features. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about some of those at, at uh, you know, maybe a bit later on. But another popular tool uh, for privacy has been mixers. 
Now, these are basically designed to sever the link between the sending and receiving addresses mm. of a crypto transaction. So let's have a hypothetical example. Let's say you're a Russian, you live somewhere in Russia, and you have yeah. family in Ukraine. Mm. And you want to send them some money because, you know, you know that they're having a hard time, whatever. You decide that you're going to use crypto because you don't want to have to send it through the banking system. You certainly don't want to have to put cash in the post. I doubt the post between Russia and Ukraine is working particularly mm. well at the moment. So you've decided that you're going to send them some cryptocurrency, which is great because it's trustless, it's permissionless. Uh, there's no one in the middle of that transaction. But you know that the Russian government, which is not a government you want to get on the wrong side of they could they could quite easily track that transaction and they could you know they could they could see that that crypto being moved and that could land you in a lot of trouble it could land your relatives in a lot of trouble so what you can do what you have the option to do is send your crypto to a mixer a mixer is basically basically like a smart contract, mm. um, which mixes it to mixes it together with amounts of the same crypto from other sources. I guess you can think of it as you know, like, you know, like a tombola pack. Yeah, it's like it's like putting your money into it. Yeah, putting so your everyone money puts a, you know a a pound coin into a tombola. Yeah, cool. Everyone else gets a pound coin out. But it may not necessarily be that that pound coin from the same person you sent. Yeah, to. and you've got no way of proving that the pound coin that you've taken out was the pound coin that mm. you've taken in because it's all sort of mixed and tumbled together. I guess that's an easy way of thinking about it. Um, and then the same amount can be withdrawn from the mixing protocol. And to touch on something, uh, to touch on an element of crypto privacy, which is so they're kind of like just little nodes where you can pay through, and because it's just like anonymous or it's just that's all it's there for it's it's impossible or more trickier to trace yeah yeah as i say it breaks the link between your sending address mm. and the receiving address that you're sending it for to a small I mean. fee i imagine yeah yeah i mean that's how they yeah that's how they uh they make the the the, the mixer with the protocol will make its money yeah it'll charge a little charge a small transaction fee on mm. top of that um so that, now the withdrawing address the way they the way they withdraw it is they use something called a zero knowledge proof now this is basically a cryptographic way of proving that you have some information without revealing that information and this is something i mean we we could start talking about zero knowledge proofs it's very very kind of dense and involved what i'd like to do actually at some point is have an episode where we get kind of a privacy expert in to talk mm. about zero knowledge proofs because it's a rabbit hole that goes pretty deep um but basically you know you use this zero no the the receiving address is able to use this zero knowledge proof to say you know i i know that sir, that this amount of eth say has gone in and therefore i am able to withdraw it so the yeah so the mixer has 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 obscured where this transaction came from now this is essentially how uh, a, a program a protocol called tornado cash worked and i mean I now that's a name i like yeah <laughs> anything with digicash tornado cash <laughs> it's 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 all right yeah. in your book I tornado mean, cash is better than digicash yeah that's pretty cool isn't it yeah. and actually tornado cash i i think it's quite a it's it's quite a it's it's quite a useful name to, you know to how you think about the protocol because it's like sort of slinging slinging your coins into a tornado which mixes it up so and then you know you take them out elsewhere mm. um 
And it, yeah, it's a good name for a mixer. Now, Tornado Cash is basically an Ethereum-based mixer, um, so it can be used to, you know, to to, to put through ETH um, or other kind of ETH-based tokens. And basically, what has happened is that Tornado Cash has been uh, in the uh, a couple of weeks ago was sanctioned by the U.S. Department of the Treasury um, mm. by by a sort of subsection of the of the Treasury Department called the Office of Foreign Assets Control. Or OFAC. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. We've been sanctioned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, I'll just read you the wi- uh, Wikipedia definition of uh, OFAC. Uh, so, the Office of Foreign Assets Control is a financial intelligence and enforcement agency of the U.S. Treasury Department. It administers and enforces economic and trade sanctions in support of U.S. national security and foreign policy objectives. Now, yeah, OFAC is something is is a organization is you not know, to be fact with. Not to be fact <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you don't want to fall on the wrong side of this guy. It's a very very powerful department, and the. I mean, when you say you know you know foreign policy and government interests. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like that, that's, that's 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 yeah. not a train you stand in the way. No. No. And I mean the the ask Iraq. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the 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 um penalties for sanctions violations can be pretty big. I mean like uh, we're talking sort of 30 odd years in jail, mm. 10 million dollar fine. It's it's not good. So if you, you if you, getting sanctioned is a is a big deal. So now the reason why OFAC decided to sanction Tornado Cash uh, was because it was being used by the Lazarus group. And are you familiar with these guys? I mean, no. (laughs) I put that. Have you heard of them? (laughs) Turns out, turns out I'm working for the CIA. I'm working for Are you familiar with them? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know a couple. Oh, 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 Laz. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you're under No, I haven't. I'm not familiar with the Lazarus Uh, Group. Okay. The Lazarus Group. This is really, really interesting. There's some very interesting material about the Lazarus Group out there. The Lazarus Group is basically uh, North Korea's hacking um, department. Okay. And Uh, you thought, that's me. I just, well, you know. I know you've got I know you've got connections. Yeah. I thought you might have heard through your underworld people. Anyhow, um we'll talk about that in uh, in a shipping container yeah. elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, so the the treasury had identified that the Lazarus group which is behind a numerous kind of crypto mm. hacks and exploits, all sorts of bad stuff. Rascals. They are they are rascals, yeah. Um they were using Tornado Cash to launder stolen crypto. Mm. And now Let's not, you know, let's not pretend otherwise here. Like Tornado Cash was certain, you know, that was... There there was was an element of that happening. Yeah, that it was certainly being used to launder funds. There's there's no question about that. But, you know, casinos launder funds. Well, yeah. Banks were set up. HSBC was laundering the cartel's money. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and we'll touch not on this. Not that that's okay. <laughs> not not uh, yeah, not condoning it for a moment. But but, but um, you know, sometimes something set up for privacy, you know, or or for one reason maybe used for another like a car wash if you're Absolutely. Well, this is something I want to touch on in just a moment because this is, you know, this is an argument that a lot of people have made in relation to these tornado cash sanctions. But um before we get to that, so yeah, OFAC basically claimed uh when it, when it announced these sanctions that 7 billion dollars had been laundered through tornado cash, mm. which is a lot of money. However, this isn't actually true. That's how much has been used. Yeah, that's Not how Not everything is is, you know, is yeah. laundered money. 
Exactly right. So, yeah, $7 billion worth of crypto has gone through Tornado Cash, uh, but not all of that is illicit funds. In fact, Chainalysis, which is one of the, which is arguably, I think, the biggest blockchain tracking company and is, you know, is a US-based company, is very much, you know, very much tied to to the authorities. Um, Chainalysis estimates that only around 17, 17% of the funds going through Tornado Cash were related to illicit activity. Now, that is still a lot. That is still a that lot, is a lot of yeah. money, you know. But certainly it's it's nothing like, you know, it's nothing like the $7 billion that OFAC claimed. I was watching a, a documentary on uh, Chinese gangs laundering money through uh, Vancouver casinos. Mm. And they had a similar sort of figure. I don't think it was as high as 17%. But I think it was it was it was uh, eight or nine percent or something like that of 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 uh, the the casinos turnover was something to do with Chinese. Yeah, was it the real estate anyway? But it was a it was a figure that I was like, wow, that is a lot of money. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, yeah, the the, the idea that the idea that a lot of people believe in that you know oh, crypto is just one big massive money laundering scheme it's it's nonsense you know especially in comparison to uh, to to the amount of money laundering that goes on in the real world i mean mm. we're talking trillions of dollars here yeah um so yeah as i say it's been estimated that look at those candy shops on, on oxford street yeah <laughs> yeah they're basically yeah they're basically money laundering operations um allegedly allegedly yeah now, the effects of these sanctions on Tornado Cash being announced were pretty immediate and pretty scary. Like the Tornado Cash website went down. The code disappeared from GitHub. Now, bear in mind, this is an, this is an important thing to, to, to remember. This was an open, open source. source code. So this code was available for everyone to see, for everyone to copy, for everyone to fork. Um, so the code disappeared from GitHub. And now what was also sanctioned was not only the Tornado Cash protocol itself, but also a, a number of wallets that were associated with the protocol. And these held something in the region of like over $400 million worth of crypto. Not your keys, not your... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of, obviously a lot of money sitting in these, uh, in these wallets. Um, now, any USDC, you've USDC being the big uh, stablecoin, the fourth, I think it's the fourth largest cryptocurrency by market cap um, and the second largest stablecoin. Any USDC that was sitting in wallets associated with Tornado Cash was frozen by Circle, which is the company that issues USDC. And we also started to see uh, decentralized applications blocking access to their front ends. Um, and, you know, any wallets that had interacted with Tornado Cash, bear in mind that everything is viewable on chain. Um, they, uh, you know, they found themselves unable to interact with a lot of DeFi protocols, with a lot of decentralized applications. Um, we also had uh, a num uh, some of the big RPC providers. Now, uh, these are basically services that enable decentralized applications to communicate with blockchains. Um, they began restricting access to Tornado Cash smart contract. Uh, to do, um, you know, and so this was another you know this big sort of centralized entity um, was uh, blocking access to Tornado Cash. And then we also had, we also saw someone began sending very, very small amounts of ETH to, um, that had been through Tornado Cash to uh, well-known ETH um, addresses. Now, are you familiar? I think we've talked about this before, this idea of a blockchain domain, of a human-readable blockchain domain. So you could have madmikemooch.eth, which also functions as a crypto wallet. 
Got it. So a number of people, Jimmy Fallon, the comedian, mm. um, Steve Aoki, who you've heard of and I'm not all that familiar with, Brian Armstrong, who's the CEO of Coinbase, mm -hmm. they found themselves being dusted, i.e. because- So basically contaminating their wallets so that they were crypto uh, shut down as well well yeah or, or, yeah basically yeah basically sending them i guess contaminated eth because it had come from you know these these uh, tornado cash associated wallets oh, God. and that could be abused by government as well yeah so you know as as i now i did a video on this last week which i'm going to put up as the put the audio up as a as a podcast in fact it should already be up by the time this is released so if you want if anyone listening kind of wants to know more about what's been going on with tornado cash then watch or listen to that um but yeah, I did speculate in that video. It's like, okay, so does that mean Jimmy Fallon is, has, you know, has been... I've always suspected him, if I'm yeah, honest. Yeah, I mean, he was... He you don't was, get to the top by being just a nice, funny guy. <laughs> yeah. We're on to you, Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy, we're coming. The feds are coming for you. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, is he, is, he now in, is he now in breach of sanctions because he has interacted, you know, even though he hasn't himself, but, you know, some, mm. because he's received... Well, we don't know that. Because he's received... We don't. Um, but I think Jimmy Fallon deserves the presumption of innocence. Um, but yeah, so it's th it, it's thrown up. Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we had you know we had this throwing up all these kind of questions. You know what happens if what happens to people staking ETH? You know what happens if they receive ETH? You know what this contaminated ETH? It, it's it it basically is create. It's basically opened a can of worms. Is yeah, what it's done. We all know what they're like. Um, now, the scariest thing, however, the most worrying thing was that one of the Tornado Cash developers has been arrested by, by Dutch police. Stop. Um, stop. You're under arrest. Uh, in, uh, he was arrested in Amsterdam. At the time that we record this, it's been nearly two weeks ago, uh, he's still not been charged and it's still not clear. This is a chap called... Um, What's he been arrested for? Well... It, it's not another we're, we're not entirely thing. clear. It's not entirely clear. They haven't actually made it clear what a law, uh, what law this chap has been uh, arrested under. Um, his name is Alexei Petsev. And uh, yeah, he's being, he's being held, you know, we, we, the kind of assumption is that they're going to charge him with some sort of sanctions violation or money laundering thing. But that's all complete speculation. Mm. That's scary. Like a guy has been arrested for writing code. And they still haven't. We still don't know what he's actually been charged with. Mm. Uh, and this is two weeks later, and he's still under arrest. Um, now, obviously, yeah. And as I said, obviously, all this is being done because of the fear of sanctions violation, uh, and which obviously carries these pretty severe yeah. penalties. And I should say, like these entities, like Circle, that's been restricted. You know, that's been free. Well, I think I think also, you know, this is an intimidation, yeah, uh, sort of tactic. You know, like th this guy has been arrested, uh, not charged, held there on some, you know, some technicality. Uh, and he'd probably have, because I, I, I watch a lot of um, uh, YouTube, obviously, and mm. there's uh, a couple of uh, criminal sort of podcasts. And the, the, the US government and the, and the legal system is just, it's just a bully. It's mm. not there for justice. It's there for the win. Yeah, and the what they, they so you'll be charged. You'll have all of these charges, you know, uh, racked up. So you're facing hundreds of years in prison, um, and then you'll get a plea bargain. Yeah, and it's kind of like okay, cool. Well, this is the plea bargain. It's it's not what you've done. It's not, but it's going to be. All they care about is that win. 
Yeah. And it's it's the intimidation and it's kind of like that that fear of if you don't take the plea bargain, they go for you even harder and make examples of you. And it's not yeah. for justice. It's for fear. Yeah. And and yeah, you get people who are you get people who have done nothing wrong. And it's like, okay, I take a plea bargain, I get ten years, or I fight it, I could get forty years. And this is where privacy comes in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kinda of like this guy's just written some code. Mm. But uh, what What's there to hide if I've not done anything wrong? Yeah. There, I mean, there's so much, there, there's so many, uh, there's going to be so many legal consequences of this because what what OFAC has done is is pretty, is pretty um, unprecedented. You know, they've sanctioned a piece of code and it throws up all kind of questions, you know, because code is, it, now code is considered... Um, law. Since, well, yeah, <laughs> code, is, code is law. Ask any, ask any cypherpunk. But since 1996, code has been considered a speech in the US. Oh, so it's a freedom of speech. speech. Yeah, and that should be protected under the First Amendment. Bear in mind, you know, I should say this guy has been arrested in... Um, the in, Netherlands. In the Netherlands. So, you know, I mean, whether there's, whether there's talk of... Of extraditing, extraditing him. him to the US, I don't know, but you know, in terms of in terms of what's happening in the US, you know, this is a US entity. OFAC is a US entity that has that has imposed these sanctions, and what it is essentially doing is sanctioning a piece of code, a public good. Yeah, you know, it's sanctioning speech, and the legal implications of this are, you know, the Treasury is kind of effectively saying that the speech itself is illegal. Now that is a that is a quagmire that is going to take you know a lot of a lot of a lot of lawyers are going to make a lot of money. Yeah, I mean there are going to be there are going to be legal challenges to this, and there are um, uh, CoinShares, which is a crypto lobbying group, is already kind of talking about this. And I you know there's no way that this can be allowed to just stand. But g- kind of going back to what you said about the about the U.S. justice system, you know it's it's a bully. So although there will be legal challenges to this. They're going to take a heck of a long time to resolve, mm. and whilst they are unresolved, those sanctions remain in place. Mm. And I think going back to what I sort of touching on earlier, you know, the fact that you have all these entities, you have the likes of Circle, you know, and and Infura, which is this RPC uh, node provider, you know, and other kind of entities, they obviously come in for criticism for 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 doing what they're doing. But I mean, you can't really blame them because you you don't get on the wrong side of the US government. You don't violate sanctions unless unless you want to spend 30 years in jail or, or face a massive fine. They don't they don't really have a choice. But the consequences of this for decentralization are dire. And we'll and we'll get on to we'll get on to that uh, shortly. But so what 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 country could you set up something which is Imperial, like is is free from U.S. pressure. Well, Apart from China or Russia, which has its own sort of pressure. Yeah, I mean, you you don't really have many options. I mean, the U.S. the U.S. has a pretty long reach, um, and I mean, yeah, I guess you're. Uh, what countries don't they extradite? Um, there are a number of countries that don't extradite to the U.S. Um, I don't think the UAE does. The United Arab Emirates. There um, we go. Saudi, yes, <laughs> yeah. So there are a few, but you know, it's. I don't think France does actually. I don't think France extradite. I think you're right. Yeah. Um. So, but you know, it's. You don't. You get on the. You get on the wrong side of 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 U.S. authorities at your peril. Yeah. Just ask Edward, Edward Snowden. I mean, last I heard, he was still in Moscow. Um. 
So, yeah, basically, these, the, you know, this, this is a tool that's been sanctioned. And as you kind of touched on as well, it's like if you're sanctioning a tool, a public good, because it's been used by criminals, you can, you can extrapolate that out pretty easily. It's like, well, okay, so are you going to sanction, are you going to sanction cash because criminals use it? Mm. You know, as, as we've talked about. Telephones. <laughs> yeah. Drug dealers use telephones, so why not sanction them? Uh, another example I used was, um, you know, parks. Are you going to close off access to public parks because drug dealers use them? Are you going to close off access to roads because drug dealers drive on them or airlines because, you know, the Mexican cartels might use them? I don't know. It, it's it's crazy. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there's also the example, are you going to sanction the whole of the internet? Because mm. let's face it, there's a lot of crime that goes on there. So... Yeah, I mean, where this all goes, where this all leads, is is kind of anyone's guess. But I mean, it's 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 going to be it's going to be play. The consequences of this are going to play out for years, really. And the consequences for privacy are are pretty worrying. Um, now, really, I think the sanctions on Tornado Cash itself are only going to affect those people who were legitimately using the protocol. Remember, this is a this is open source code. It's up there on the internet. It can't be taken down. So Tornado, you could you can still use Tornado Cash. So the criminals who were using it in the first place can carry on using it, you know, because they don't care. They're criminals. Mm. They could also you, they could also someone could also fork the code and create Cyclone Cash, mm. Hurricane Cash, Mad Mike Mooch Cash, mm. you know, whatever they want. So. Really, the only OFAC thing, cash. OFAC cash. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> I like just, that. Just uh, yeah, yeah. Double down. Oh, there they are. Um, so yeah, it's uh, legitimate users, people who were using Tornado Cash for their own private for purposes of their own privacy, are really the only ones who have been affected by these sanctions. Um, and it's it's also I think it's worth pointing out that this is the most egregious example of this, but that we have seen pushback against other kind of privacy focused crypto projects in 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 the recent past. A good example is uh, Litecoin. Litecoin implemented some privacy features fairly recently. It had an upgrade, um, which enabled some privacy features. You know, very much opt in. Um, so it didn't become a full privacy coin. Uh, but Light LTC was uh, delisted from several South Korean exchanges after that. You know, regulatory pressure uh, was piled on. And we've also got the likes of Monero. I mean, Monero has been in the sights of governments for a long, long time. Mm. Now, Monero uses different technology in order to – Monero uses something, among other things, something called ring signatures to rather than, um, you know, rather than this kind of mixing, uh, this idea of mixing. Uh, so, you know, there are other ways that you can protect your privacy in crypto. I don't think we'll we, – we, we won't kind of talk too much about them because, again, that's, you know, that's a rabbit hole that goes quite deep. But, yeah – Crypto privacy in crypto, and and by extension, I think privacy itself is has really come under attack from these from these sanctions. And I think it's worth just kind of going back to the idea of the importance of internet privacy because the tools that were developed by people like Phil Zimmerman, who we met in episode six, he was the guy who created PGP, Pretty Good Privacy. Um, now I don't know if you remember this, but Pretty Good Privacy was this messaging system that used public key cryptography uh, to allow people to basically encrypt their communications. And the US government 
really threw its toys out of the pram about this. Uh, they were very, very worried that, you know, and, and their argument was like, why would you want to encrypt your communications unless you're an enemy of the US or you're a criminal? And um, they really went after Phil Zimmerman. Um, they charged him with uh, exporting um, uh, munitions. They charged him with munitions export without a license because they argued that this um, PGP and other encryption technologies were basically kind of weapons grade. Um Jesus. Yeah. This is the bullying, isn't it? Is yeah, it? this is yeah, this is the bullying. It's kind of just abuse of the of the the law. Yeah. Munitions. It's crazy. And do you remember the way Zimmerman got around it was got around the restrictions on exporting digital code. Um he just published the details of PGP as a, as an actual book. Um <laughs> freedom of speech. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, sort of got in a lot of he, he, I, the charges were eventually dropped, but but does the bullying stop? Yeah, I mean it was a good it was I guess a good I guess the U.S. government would have would have seen it as a benefit because it says like look if you're gonna if you're gonna develop something like this it doesn't matter if it's legal if we don't like it we will go after you mm. and the question you have to ask yourself is is it worth it mm. you know even if you don't end up getting charged. Is it worth having the threat, you know, having Uncle Sam kind of mm. looming over you for... Just have your life just be tied up by litigation and, yeah. and court cases. It's the same way, you know, certain scrupulous, unscrupulous uh, businessmen just will just litigate you constantly until uh, until you don't have any more money. In yeah. Them. And we've seen this with uh, with journalists as well, speaking yeah. out against, um, I think, you know, a lot of uh, Russians who got sanctioned. Um, you know, we, a lot of journalists have tried to dig into, you know, why some of these Russians are so damn rich and have been basically hit with lawsuits. You know, British journalists mm. hit by hit with lawsuits by British law firms uh, in order to just keep them quiet. Yeah. And, you know, and, and just make and when you're when you're earning not very much money from being a journalist and it's it just kind of becomes a lot less appealing. Yeah. Exactly. It's 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 to gag people. Mm. It's, it's pure and simple. Now, weirdly enough, or ironically enough, I guess that the tools that Phil Zimmerman and others helped create have basically shaped the e-commerce revolution because they were looking. You know, the, these these encryption technologies have enabled you know have enabled people to safely transact online. So really, the U.S. government was shooting itself in the foot by trying to suppress this stuff. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it kind of shows you why people like the cypherpunks were so obsessed with this. It's something that should concern us, concern us all. Privacy is, it's not just about keeping, you know, keeping prying eyes away, but it's, it's about human progress. Mm. Um, and, and the protection against tyrannical governments. Yeah, absolutely. And by sanctioning tools like Tornado Cash, the US is kind of setting a, a pretty dangerous precedent, I think. And it's it, it's putting itself on a path to becoming more like China. And we talked about in that last episode uh, about cashless society, didn't mm. we? How China, you know, the, the surveillance state and how, um, you know, technology is making it that surveillance state even more efficient. So... Yeah, this this sanctioning of Tornado Cash is is a kind of worrying development, and um, yeah, we're going to look. Uh, let's, but it has a lot of it has a lot more implications for crypto beyond kind of just privacy. Uh, but let's take a quick break, and we'll talk about those in a sure. minute. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to part three. Now we're we're going to talk a bit more. That was about, a can of worms. That really was a can yeah. of worms. Yeah, I, there are st- I, there are worms everywhere. So mm. The worms are all over the floor. We're going to be picking them up for for days. Um, is that a dad joke? Uh, is that a joke? <laughs> <laughs> there, there we are. So 
let's talk about uh, let's talk about what all this means for crypto. Yeah. Now, I should start by pointing out that not everyone uh, thinks privacy, you know, crypto privacy is necessarily a good thing. Um, institutions, for instance, they don't really care about it, or rather, they want to see crypto, a decentralized finance sector that has compliance built in. They don't. They don't want. Uh, they want to put an end to what one uh, to what one institutional figure uh, put it as you know this kind of cowboy culture mm. in crypto you know institutions they want to make money and they certainly don't want to have to fall foul of governments while doing so and i think you can i think you can say we do you remember we talked we touched on this when we talked to Nate from crypto slate a few weeks mm. ago now all these kind of hacks and exploits that we've seen of various defi protocols you know of various uh, crypto platforms over the past few months you know millions and millions of dollars stolen and a lot of that laundered through places like tornado cash and and elsewhere and and then you've also got this thing of so many of these protocols then actually offer to pay the hacker you know a fairly generous bounty in a lot mm. of cases if they return it which i i kind of disagree with i mean i see why they do it but i disagree with it but you know you can see from an institutional point of view from you know from maybe you know an asset manager or a bank or a pension fund or something that wants to invest in crypto that's that's not something they're ever going to be comfortable with so I think they are, you know, and they make the point that there should be consequences for people who commit such crimes. And I, I agree with them. I don't think you should just be paying them off. And I also don't think that anyone really wants their stolen crypto being used to fund North Korea's nuclear program, which no. is what the Lazarus Group is, is, you know, basically all about. You know, that's what it exists for. That's what I want, actually. That's what you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. Okay. You yeah. think you, you think a nuclear armed North Korea is is a good thing? Yeah, go on. Balances it out. Yeah, yeah. I like a fair fight. <laughs> <laughs> a fair fight where everyone ends up dead. Mm. Um, but yeah, so a lot of yeah, there are there are certainly arguments you know arguments against it. But I think innocent people should still have the right to transact privately. Yeah. Uh, we we lose that right at our peril, or perhaps you should. Perhaps another way of looking at that is companies and governments shouldn't be able to snoop on private citizens going about their business. Yeah. There should be there should be controls against that. Now, the the really big the, the other can kind of can of worms that has been opened um, is is in regards to Ethereum. Mm. And this is what I want to just finish up by talking about. Is this the 2.0, but we can't call it that? Well, yeah, we can't call it 2.0. But yeah, as you know, Ethereum is in the middle of uh, of a massive uh, network upgrade. And the next step of that is coming in a few weeks' time, and that is the merge, which is the transition to proof-of-stake. Mm. Now, we've talked about proof-of-stake a few times before, but just for the benefit of anyone new to it, just to remind ourselves, when Ethereum becomes proof-of-stake... The network will then be secured and transactions will be processed by validators uh, rather than miners. Now, a validator is someone who will have locked up a certain amount of ETH in order to earn the right to process transactions and get the rewards that they do that, either you know, block rewards or transaction fees. And as we know, it, it's, it's similar to a lottery system in a way that the more you stake, the more tickets you buy, the bigger your chance of winning, mm. the bigger your chance of being selected. Now, obviously, not everyone can afford to do this, which means that the control of a proof of stake network and you know the control of may the lie Ethereum with network, a few people or fewer. Yeah, 
Yeah, the, it basically is a is a, is a centralization issue, and a lot of people are very concerned that you know these big sort of validators, these big you know institutions, um, could they not limit how how like so kind of okay, cool, you can only certain people can only validate so much. There's not a, a you know a, a ceiling on it. I don't think. I mean, I don't to encourage think... more micro validators. Well, I mean, there are ways. Like you can, you know, there are validator, there are staking pools. You can delegate. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, ordinary people who might, you know, let's say you've only got half an ETH that you want to that you want to stake. You know, you can do that, and you can, but you are obviously earn a fraction, a yeah, small yeah. percentage of what that uh, staking pool would um, would earn from a you know a block reward or whatever. Um, I, th- I I think limiting limiting you know how many validator nodes a company can run i think that it's difficult it's futile it's, essentially because you can just set up yeah it's, and it's, it's also kind of centralized in its own way you mm. know that who would who would oversee yeah, it who yeah. would call those shots me you would are you putting your <laughs> selflessly putting yourself yes. forward i'll let vitalik know i'm sure Good. he'd i'm sure he'd like to hear from you um so yeah so there is this there is this going to be this concentration of power into the hands of these validators now, the concern here is that although validators are incentivized to, to, to remain honest, they're incentivized to process transactions properly, they're incentivized to not censor transactions, not interfere in any way, um, because, well, firstly, they're incentivized because, you know, they have a, a literal stake on the network. So if they start acting, you know, dishonestly, then that lowers the value of their stake. Uh, because it lowers trust in the network. So there's that incentive. There's also, uh, I think we've touched on this before, there's also slashing. Now, if you're if you're a validator and you're seen to act dishonestly or you're seen to implement, you know, you're seen to interfere in any way, you can have your sum or all of your stakes slashed and that's it. So that is, that as well is is a big incentive to behave, to behave well, to behave honestly. Problem is, uh, although these incentives exist, they these validators can still be coerced into doing so. Mm. And this is the big worry. And this is what the Tornado Cash saga has kind of illustrated. And again, you know, and companies like Circle, for instance, which run validator nodes, control huge amounts of liquidity. They could be coerced by the US government to, in, in, um, to implement censorship at the protocol level. Mm. And that... Is there not enough uh, validators around the world who would be able to, so that it wouldn't just grind to a halt or anything like that? I mean, there are lots, yeah, Ethereum certainly does have a lot of validators. You know, it is it is very, very decentralized, especially compared to other proof-of-stake cryptocurrencies. But I think it's, you know, you have to look at it as a kind of slippery slope. If if one validator corrupts the network, you know, if one validator is is shown to be processing transactions incorrectly or or to be implementing protocol-level censorship, then others could you know could also be influenced to do so um and this you know this is centralization in a way this is uh, and this is putting ethereum in a position where sanctions could be implemented at the protocol level by the us government saying to remember companies like circle or coinbase for instance these are these are us based entities and again they they might not have any choice uh, but to implement censorship to, to interfere at the protocol level um, and this puts you know the, the trustlessness the permissionless nature of the ethereum network in into doubt and 
if that's if that is what Ethereum becomes, if Ethereum becomes this network that is controlled by these validators who are themselves uh, influenced by what the U.S. government is telling them to do, then Ethereum will become just another kind of proxy tool of the state and mm. no different really from the current financial system because the banks and payment providers are all, you know, are all can be influenced by. Be leaned on. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that the Ethereum community is going to have to address. And there are some who are even calling for the merge to be postponed until this problem can be can be suitably addressed. Some, some yeah. sort of uh, solution to that. Yeah. And a few people are kind of speculating that this could be Ethereum's New York moment. Now, I don't I don't remember if I actually mentioned this when we talked about um, the uh, when we talked about the history of Bitcoin. But back in 2017, uh, there was something called the New York Agreement, which is where around kind of 50 companies, including some crypto exchanges, uh, got together and tried to get the Bitcoin community to increase Bitcoin's block size. Uh, because they they reckoned that that would make it easier to use and faster. And the Bitcoin community said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do what these institutions mm. want us to do. And, it was, you know, this retrospectively, this was a huge moment in Bitcoin's in Bitcoin development because it showed that even though a whole load of powerful institutions had got together to try and influence the network, they weren't the able the to do so. The power of the people prevailed. Yeah, decentralization won out in the end. And there's a there's speculation that this Ethereum could be approaching this sort of moment, you know, and it's up to the Ethereum community, which and I mean by Ethereum community, I guess I mean, you know, developers, you know, both Ethereum developers, but also people um, building on Ethereum and users of Ethereum as well. You know, they're going to have to decide at some point, like, how do we how do we push back against this? And one thing that's been suggested is, um, and we've speculated, you know, a few of us here at CoinBureau have speculated on this. Um, it could be that stake any stakers, any any validators who implement censorship uh, at the protocol level, should automatically have their stakes Slash. slashed. And this would take the form you, uh, this would take the form of, a, of an EIP, an Ethereum improvement proposal. So it could be that someone, you know, proposes this and a, and a change so is going to do that. Ethereum. It's going to be costly and it's not going to work anyway. It would be difficult. It would be difficult, but it may be... Well, problem solved. Cool. Yeah, we can go home. <laughs> and I mean, it's interesting because like uh, Brian Armstrong, uh, the Coinbase CEO, he's come out and said that he would rather Coinbase didn't stake at all than be forced to implement protocol level censorship, which is, I mean, w which is really great to hear. Mm. You know, it, it's it, it's it, good he that, understands you know, people that, at the top are echoing the, the sort of sentiments of... of uh, all the concerns of the, uh, a large swathe of the Ethereum community. Yeah, yeah. You know, people like him, they understand what Ethereum is trying to do. They understand that Ethereum is not about being... A and maybe this tornado uh, fuck-up is a, is, a, is a sort of warning shot Yeah, that, that was necessary. So maybe they shot themselves in the foot. It could be. It could be. Certainly, I think it's made the, it's made the whole Ethereum and kind of wider crypto community very much aware of what is at stake here. Um, but, you know, having said that, there is money to be made from being a validator. Mm. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen. But I think Ethereum is at a uh, is at a kind of bit of a crossroads at the moment. And obviously it's undergoing this huge move across, you know, mm. moving, moving the changes that Ethereum is, is trying to implement Big. are huge. Yeah. So in conclusion, I guess privacy is something you've got to get ready to hear a lot more about. Um, 
because it's almost certain that governments are going to try and erode privacy further in crypto and elsewhere. They're going to keep they're going to keep doing it because it's about control, mm. you know. Um, and we've got other technologies. It's not just crypto. You know, we've got other technologies, things like AI, facial recognition, being harnessed to fight uh, to fight against personal privacy. Um, and again, going back to something that we touched on in the discussion about the cashless society, we've also got things like central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Mm. So attacking the, the 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 marketplace leaders and then introduce your own one. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, this this form of this form of central bank issued cash, central bank issued money that is, you know, in, in very very easy to trace. That's the kind of control that that governments dream of, and it is happening. You know, it's happening in places like China, and if we're not careful, it will happen in more so called liberal democracies like ours as well. So, yeah, that's why I wanted to talk a bit about privacy. Today, you know, privacy in crypto and privacy in general, because I think, as you say, this tornado cash business, which is still ongoing, there's there's, there's certainly going to be a lot more developments mm. in that uh, in that story as we go on. But um, yeah, it really has thrown into perspective just what is at stake and you know what this means for crypto, and you know how much of an issue privacy is. And I think you know people are always talking about well, what are going to be the next big trends in crypto? What's you know what's going to be what are we going to be talking about in the next bull market say and i think privacy could be a big one mm. i think more and more people are going to are going to realize that you know they have to take some sort of steps to 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 take control of their own personal privacy because i think it's one of those things that once it's gone once you've lost it you can't yeah back. it's it's like the like they said with uh you know during the whole uh, sickness that we had over the last two years mm. a lot of these uh government sort of overreaches are not going to be rolled back yeah yeah, very, very true. And I mean, I, yeah, I, th I think it, it's the same kind. Of, I think the same kind of thing with inflation as well. It's like all these prices are going up. Mm. It's like they're not, you know. Oh, even, even, even when uh, you know the 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 sort of oil starts flowing again, mm. will these uh, big corporations reflect that? In there? Yeah. Hey guys, I'm going to cut the price now. <laughs> well, that was a bit much, wasn't it? Don't worry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a scary thought because. You know, it sh it shows how much power corporations mm. have, and privacy is one of the few ways that you can that you can push back against that. So, yeah, use uh, so another cheery episode. Use, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back. Uh, we might be. I think we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus a next week because uh, I'm on my travels a bit. But we will be back. Uh, so don't you go anywhere. Yeah. Alrighty. Ta ta. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Coin Bureau podcast. If you'd like to learn more about cryptocurrency, you can visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Coin Bureau. You can also go to coinbureau.com for loads more information about all things crypto. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Coin Bureau, all one word. And I'm also active on TikTok and Instagram as well. Uh, first of all, uh, it's not thank you for listening. You're welcome for great content. Yeah, like this is free. And they're learning about a fairly great topic in a non-boring way. If you'd like to visit me and hear more about me, go to Moochabout, M-O-O-C-H-A-B-O-U-T, or else. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Coin Bureau podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Thank you. 